Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. I'm Julian Ha, a partner in the Hydric and Struggles Washington, D.C. office and leader and founder of the Global Government Affairs, Policy and Association Practices. In a series of podcasts with leaders in crypto and digital assets, we will be exploring the current environment, the evolution of control and governance functions in this industry, expectations for the future, and what leaders in this space have learned from their work in this innovative and disruptive sector. In today's podcast, I'm excited to speak with Dante Disparte and my colleague, David Richardson. Dante is the Chief Strategy Officer and Head of Global Public Policy for Circle, a digital financial services firm building a trusted treasury and payments infrastructure for the internet, including the fast-growing dollar digital currency, USDC. Prior to joining Circle, Dante served as a founding executive of the Diem Association, where he led public policy, communications, membership, and social impact. Dante comes to Circle with two decades of experience as an entrepreneur, business leader, and global risk expert. David is a partner in Hydric and Struggles' New York office and a member of the financial services practice. David works with clients at the intersection of technology and financial markets. He co-leads the global payments, market infrastructure, and data services sector, as well as the crypto and data assets sector in the Americas. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Julian. It's great to be on with you. Dante, I'll start with you. To kick off this conversation, could you walk us through your first exposure to the world of crypto and what drew you into the space? Yeah, that's a great question, Julian. When I first came at the sector, and as you know, for many people, you do not find digital assets or crypto, crypto finds you. At that time, the industry found me and the sector found me in part because it was looking for insurance and risk management help. And so a lot of the early companies in the space were coming to my firm, Risk Cooperative, for advice on how to address novel risks, cyber insurance, fiduciary insurance, management liability, and so on. And so that was my first foray into looking at digital assets. David, is this consistent with what you hear when speaking with candidates about roles in crypto? Absolutely. I think people come from a whole variety of different spaces and sectors, and most people, it finds them versus them finding it. I'll say that right now, and Dante's been doing this longer than many, if not most, right now, what you'll find is that for those who are outside the industry today, it resonates most with people who have a kind of engineering, economics, or mathematics background. They typically have the highest level of personal interest. Very interesting. Following up on your comments, I'm curious if you can both discuss some of the dynamics with those coming from outside the industry. Dante, I'll start with you. For example, when you hire people from other industries now, what advice or development goals do you give them to ensure their adjustment? One thing I would say is like any novel technology, if you time how long does it take for a novel technology to reach 100 million people as end users, then the truth with digital assets and crypto broadly is that it's following that same paradigm. 
of other breakthrough or exponential technologies before it. And today, I think the newer colleagues that are coming into Circle that have pattern recognition of not only how to explain things to maybe the uninitiated, but also how to ensure that despite the novelty of the technology, that the operations remain within the boundaries of the rules-based financial system is really critical. And so in many ways, crypto is a very heavily jargon-ridden industry, but the companies, the people, and therefore the leaders that have done really well understand that kind of relationship map between a payment activity, irrespective of how it is powered and what technology powers it, and the expectations that people have and markets have and regulators have around good conduct. That's been a big advantage for us. And the newer colleagues that come to Circle that have that pattern recognition have been uh, really terrific assets for the business. That's great. David, same question. Maybe you can touch on what you see organizations and leaders doing to help onboard talent from outside the industry. Well, I have to echo that, as Dante said, communication skills for our clients are really critical to being successful. I do think it starts with the assessment piece. So before someone is onboarded, making sure you're hiring and appointing the right executives internally. Communication is a massive part of that, of course. And then also the mission and cultural alignment of a firm, making sure that that's aligned across executives. That becomes increasingly more complicated and nuanced as you start to broaden and you move away as the industry sort of unbundles. Dante was talking about executives who have pattern recognition in disassociating a payments activity from the underlying activities. Really good point. I think as the industry has begun to unbundle, you just have a lot of complexity. Previously, clients were just sort of lumping themselves into this kind of crypto industry. And now what you have is differentiation between payments, custodians, exchanges, and a whole variety of other participants. Each of them have their own cultures and finding executives that understand the nuance and fit the cultural alignments are really important. It's easier, as I mentioned earlier, for those who have an engineering or mathematics background to kind of understand and be interested by the underlying technology. As clients look to appoint people with a broader swathe of backgrounds in regulation, legal, compliance, finance. What we've found is that often executives who've lived or been raised outside of the United States or Europe, I think have a resonance with the mission of crypto broadly. And quite quickly, you find people that are philosophically aligned with privacy or economic freedom, open financial systems. That's actually very important to their success. And post-onboarding, education is absolutely the most critical factor here. This is a pretty open source industry. And so people do need to take it upon themselves to be proactive. The best people are lifelong learners and really spend a lot of time post-joining an organization, getting up to speed. And then the final thing that I think has become critical for all industries post-pandemic, but none more so than crypto is helping employees at all levels understand how to be successful in what is usually a remote first environment. And Julian, if I may, I mean, I think David brought up a number of points, and I just want to give you the lens from a practicing leader in a company that Circle has had exactly that experience. And as a result, we haven't taken it for granted that lifelong learning is going to be a critical feature for successful colleagues here. And so we have an entire curriculum known as Circle University that takes you through sort of a 
101 level to PhD level body of knowledge on digital assets, financial crime compliance, the whole host of issues that matter. We've ensured that everybody who works at the company has this content at their fingertips. And then increasingly, we've also taken that curriculum in partnership with a number of universities, and we started making it available to external parties as well. So if the expression knowledge is power really means anything, then we want to ensure that everybody at our firm benefits from the same knowledge base. That's a great so, idea, Dante. I assume you're a tenured professor on that faculty. <laughs> Not only in the internal one, but I think in the external world as well, as I do quite a lot of lecturing and speaking on these topics. Indeed you do. Dante, I love that. And I'm kind of interested in just drilling down a little bit into a couple of your comments. You talked a lot about the maturity of the industry, the operational leadership, the formal parts, Circle University and things. How do you work about finding the right balance between financial and regulatory stability, but also allowing innovation to thrive? And how do you get that culture correct in the organization? On the one hand, if you think of the sector, crypto broadly is a 15-year-old sector. If the initiation is the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, but that in reality, the maturation cycle, I would argue, began in earnest in 2017 and in 2018, where you started to see broad institutional adoption. And today, I think a technology changes the world when the technology is no longer a protagonist. And whenever we're using crypto short form, we're really describing cryptography, a pretty old and pretty essential technology stack. And when was the last time, for example, you went to an internet conference and discussed hardware and software and routers, right? The internet is a transformational technology because it has faded to the background. And companies like Circle have been very well served by focusing on outcomes and the real world utility value that these technologies are supposed to support as opposed to glamorizing the technology for technology's sake. And unfortunately, we've learned the hard way in 2022 was a teachable lesson. I call it crypto's Dodd-Frank and dot-com moment. It was a teachable lesson that if the technology is a protagonist and so much of what companies were making promises to the markets about were sort of false statements on Twitter, then it begs serious questions about operational readiness, about the ability to recruit and attract and retain world-class talent. And then last word I would say is there are no shortcuts, right? Circle is a 10-year-old firm. USDC, the world's most trusted digital dollar, is a five-year-old innovation. And throughout that course, we have not taken shortcuts as a company. And I think that is what really people care about and what the people who underwrite us and due diligence on us really care about most. So let's turn now to the roles of strategy and policy. Dante, this sector is famously fast-moving. How has your leadership role and the function of, shall we say, strategic policy evolved during your time in it? Yeah, I mean, one, it's just been a fascinating front row seat. I don't think of this being a different job for me coming to Circle from the erstwhile Libra project, later rebranded as Diem. In fact, in many ways, it's the continuation of that global public policy conversation around regulatory harmonization with digital assets, the likely trade-offs between risks and rewards. And so one advantage that I think is really critical for Circle and for me personally is to continue to maintain personhood, right? That many of the so-called peer companies and peer institutions in this market are literally hiding behind the internet or hiding behind anonymous accounts on Twitter. And our CEO, Jeremy Allaire, myself, and many, many other leaders here at Circle have always tried to establish personhood in no small measure because one, it's the best way to build actual trust. 
It's also the best way to educate and advocate. And so that's a pretty on-demand job at the moment as we now enter since 2019, the fifth full year of global conversations, consultations, hearings about what to do with these innovations as they continue to encroach on traditional rules-based financial services. And so what the world wants to know is, can open financial systems support innovation, inclusion, and protect the integrity of the financial system all at once? And our answer is unequivocally yes, and our company has demonstrated that we can prove that. So I'd like to dive deeper into your extensive experience in not only strategy, but governance and risk. Do you think that the governance and management of this space differs from other industries? And how would you say governance and management need to evolve to stabilize the sector a bit? Well, for one, complex systems fail in complex ways. And in many ways, if you look back at 2022, a year with nearly $2 trillion of economic loss, across the crypto sector, much of the failures, if you look backwards at 2022, were not born from the technologies. Quite to the contrary, the technologies made the likelihood of risks much more discoverable. But where the failures emerged, it was in the blend of either poor management, lack of governance at the human level, lack of internal controls, half-hearted commitments to risk management, compliance, and ultimately, in some instances, outright fraud or ethical lapses and breaches. Now, any one of those on their own is sufficient to harm either the reputation of an industry or the likelihood that that industry would enjoy a more favorable market environment. But it also vindicates companies that have been well-run, that respected the existing set of rules and were well-governed throughout. And so in Circle's case, and we don't take this lightly, we take it with the humility it deserves, Ever since the collapse of the stable and name-only coin Terra Luna early last year, USDC as an innovation has been the flight to safety asset. And so as a company, even today, with a lot more uncertainty in the digital assets market and in the banking sector, we have seen a resumption of growth of USDC, in part because you can't buy insurance when your house is on fire. And I think broadly speaking, the markets and the regulators and many others understand Circle to be a very well-run company with strong governance and with a, a high sort of threshold of leadership and personhood so that when all else fails, the business and the market knows that they can rely on us as kind of an anchor of stability in this market segment. So picking up on that, David, you meet regularly with CEOs and board members currently in the industry, looking to hire talent into their organizations. From what you're hearing and seeing, are there specific skill sets and capabilities that keep coming up in the search process that reflect the function's evolution? Oh, absolutely. And I just want to quickly touch on Dante's comment around the companies that have been building these control functions for a number of years. That I think was perceived in some parts of the market as a cost or perhaps even a tax on business that people chose to pay when in some instances they did not need to. It is really now fundamental and critical to the operations of the business. So the way that that is translated into our work is prior to 2022, a lot of the executive appointments that we made were growth initiatives that could be VP of engineering, chief technology officer, GMs to open new markets. And that was pretty consistent across the sector globally. And what we've seen post-2022, the CEOs, the board members, control functions are at the forefront of their needs. That could be legal, government affairs, risk, compliance, finance, 
We've also seen a lot of focus on board appointments and founder succession. And I think it's also important to point out that these phenomenons are true in crypto, but they're not only true in crypto. This is something that is true across much of the growth markets industries that we've seen post-2022. So let's maybe pivot to stakeholder management. So Dante, a few questions for you regarding stakeholders. First, maybe just to level set for everyone listening to the podcast, who would you say are your main stakeholders? I think stakeholder mapping and really having a deep understanding of stakeholders is a lost art in some respects. So Circle, one of our corporate values is to be a multi-stakeholder company. And we practice it at every level of all the decisions we make. But as a regulated financial services firm, you have to extrapolate that, you know, our core product is money and the movement of money onto the internet. And therefore, that stakeholder map is the end user of USDC, wherever in the world they may be, our direct customers and sort of corporate counterparties, the regulators that establish the third rails in the modern economy and the global financial system, obviously our investors, our staff, and so on. And so as a company, we really believe in this multi-stakeholder world. It's one of the value systems we drive as a company, and it even shows up in our performance appraisal process. We don't just care about what you do, we care very deeply about how you do it and that you bring people along for the journey. So then how do you remain a good citizen in such a complex environment, right? And so today, the word crypto, unfortunately, is a bad word. You know, it's like using asbestos or big tobacco at the peak of their brand problems. But part of that stakeholder mapping is to have sufficient trust across all of those stakeholders to one, be a trusted resource. And in many cases, especially with regulators and policymakers, they really do not like surprises. I learned that the hard way with the Libra project, that if you put out a white paper and anybody anywhere construed it as a surprise, then you're going to get summoned everywhere all at once. (laughs) And so today at Circle, we've really operated on the basis of no surprises across the board. And that has been a really powerful asset for us, especially throughout last year, as there have been so many developments in the market, so many developments in the industry, the ability to continue operating on that no surprises basis is a big deal for us. I think that's a great rule, Dante, the no surprise rule. David, I'm going to continue on this theme. From your perspective, how have these conversations changed and evolved in terms of what you're seeing organizations looking for in their leaders? So what's changed in terms of what our clients are looking for in leaders? It's about time horizon, the focus on control functions, and perhaps the focus on integrity, communication skills, and standards. So on the time horizon piece, in a high growth market, people are very focused on the here and now. And in a market right now with regulatory clarity coming down the pipe, pretty thick and fast, the focus is on the mid and the long term. So I think hiring for what you need 24 and on is more of a focus than what you need to solve growth opportunities for the next quarter. The second point, you know, the focus on control functions, that is different. I also think as organizations have started to elevate the roles of compliance and risk and reg and legal in the organization, how they assess that talent, where it reports in the organization, who gets involved and at one point, it does differ when we're running those processes. And then given everything that's happened in the last six months to a year, the focus on standards, communication style, integrity, ethics, that was always part of it. 
for the clients that we work for, always part of their process, it's now a critical focus. So those are the things that have changed. I mean, what's stayed the same, what's consistent is needing executives who have passion and mission alignment within the industry, needing people who are comfort with a level of ambiguity because of the pace of change. And also given that pace of change, people who have intellectual dexterity and curiosity, which goes back to Dante's point around lifelong learning. Just building on that, I think you really underscored a couple of things that, again, from an operational vantage point, Circle is a fast growth company. And when I joined the company in April of 2021, we had just around 200 people. And today we're closer to 1,000 in 35 states, 12 countries, and really growing quite rapidly. And I do think this often either ignored or overlooked part of corporate governance is corporate value systems. And, you know, in my view and in Circle's view operationally, a company's value systems matter most during periods of duress or stress or when it's inconvenient. And I think we were able to demonstrate last year and as a general matter throughout the course of this year and in our operations, a degree of the very successful performers at our business have self-selected. It's a mission-driven company, but to put those value systems into play when you're a remote first firm, so many of the points you raised, David, but also to put them into play when you're a regulated company, in many cases is not just about the types of internal controls, it's about the broad skin in the game that everybody in our business has. And that's just been a very powerful difference maker through a lot of turbulence and complexity in the industry with many of our competitors failing for having taken shortcuts on all those issues. That has really produced, I think, a pretty distinct competitive advantage for the company. I would also underscore that we care very, very deeply about diversity in all ranks across the business. And that too has been a powerful difference maker for us navigating a lot of the turbulence in the market. Dante, given the role that Circle plays in the ecosystem, could you speak to how the dialogue has changed with regulators in the last few years and perhaps even the last few months? Are there newer questions that the company is facing around governance? One, I do think the dialogue has evolved, right? That if you think of the advent of cryptocurrencies and digital assets, that all too often the dialogue with regulators maybe treated the innovation as if this was fringe finance. And I think what has transpired over the course of the last several years is the likelihood that these innovations are integrated into the core of finance. And then who is permissioned in, I think, has been a pretty material shift that crypto has been taken more seriously. And as a result, the companies that could demonstrate corporate structure, what I like to call personhood, have had a seat at the table in helping shape a policy environment that does not shut down this emergence of an internet of value, but that sees it ultimately as an extension of the banking system that if it remains in brick and mortar, it has clearly hit a point of diminishing returns. And so I think that policy conversation is really happening in earnest. And what you're seeing coming, for example, out of the White House with the Biden administration's executive order on digital assets leadership and promoting responsible innovation in the United States is a byproduct of companies like ours having stayed the course and having shown the art of the possible for what the technologies can do in the real world while at the same time demonstrating, I think, like-for-like like levels of responsibility and accountability to peer institutions. And that's the crux of all of it. If you're playing a long-range strategic vision, then there can be no shortcuts in how people trust what you do, and there can be no shortcuts in that you do what you say. And that has really proven to be a powerful advantage. So let's take a peek into the future and gaze into our crystal balls for a minute. 
Dante, how do you think this industry and these critical control functions we've been discussing will develop? I think for one, we will develop, at least from a policy and regulatory vantage point, a set of national rules and standards, which ironically have less to do with crypto and digital assets in the United States and more to do with the fact that the United States, among the advanced economies in the world, is alone in not having a non-bank federal payment systems charter or license regime. And so from 2019 and the era of the Libra project, fast forward to today, that up-leveling of national regulatory frameworks, I think, is a critical piece of the puzzle. But it has less to do with digital assets and crypto and more to do with how the United States competes globally. So that's just one piece of the puzzle. The other thing I think that is really critical is that the technologies start to fade to the background. That at the end of the day, in the same way that when you send an email to someone, you're not glamorizing the protocol of the email standard itself. What you're, what you're really celebrating is fast, trusted communications with directed counterparties. I think the same trend line is holding true in payments today. That is a, an outcome that is not only a financial necessity for people, it is a progression, more of an evolution than a revolution in financial services that isn't going away. And so I think in the next three to five years, the integration of digital currency-based payments in traditional household name financial services is absolutely here to stay. We think Circle, courtesy of all the things we've discussed so far, has a critical role to play in that evolution and that it will start to become very normal for you to transact with counterparties with the simplicity, the trust, and the user direction that you enjoy with your email. I think that metaphor is starting to become really true. That's great. Maybe now a little bit of advice time, and we'll step back into our time machine. Looking back on how much change has taken place, Dante, even in the past year or a few months, what advice would you give your younger self or others thinking about entering into this space and function? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, my younger self sort of came at this space with a healthy degree of skepticism, in part because I was asked to insure the industry at that time. And this was in the early parts of 2017, at the peak of the initial coin offerings bubble. And I think healthy skepticism is an asset, not a liability. That doesn't mean you have to doubt what the technology can do. But you have to doubt what the technology can do if you think the technology is going to completely replace, uh, for example, the banking system, or if the technology is going to get a shortcut on critical issues like financial crime compliance. And so that healthy skepticism that my younger self had, in hindsight, proved to be a really powerful asset throughout the course of my career in this industry, because the companies that have been the most durable and the investments that have had the most staying power and the best returns have been the ones in which crypto assets are presented as evolutionary and not revolutionary, and that the anti-establishment streak might have been a maximizer strategy as opposed to an optimizer strategy. My view of the world is these things are only meaningful to the extent they're usable by billions of people, and billions of people should not have a science experiment run with their money or their trust. And I think that's why you can't take shortcuts, as we've discussed in today's conversation. So as we bring this conversation to a close, I want to ask one final question. So looking ahead, what specific leadership skill sets and capabilities do you both think will be most important for leaders in this space to help their organizations meet their strategic goals? David, I'm going to start with you on that one. So we've talked for a long time in the industry about how there would be more regulatory clarity in the future. And it looks like people have been predicting this for a while, but it does look like 
23 and 24 are going to be here in the US and across the world the moment that that happens and there's regulatory clarity, at least in some instances. And I think then, as Dante was talking about, that's going to create defensive positions for some industries. It's going to be a barrier to entry. For other companies, that's going to mean they're going to have to shift business models. And for some companies or sectors, it may kill that business altogether. So there's going to be a lot of change. I think executives with experience scaling businesses in regulated environments are going to be absolutely critical. In addition to that, executives with the kind of legal operational discipline, cost efficiency, and integrity, absolutely critical to help these organizations navigate through what is inevitably going to be a challenging couple of years. And then, of course, organizations who have people who can align with the culture and move the culture forward as the organization changes. Dante, you have the final word. Take us home with your thoughts. All right. Well, the final word, especially when David's were so wise, is going to be a hard place to be. But I think the crux here is leaders who at this point are a little bit scarce, but nonetheless are out there, who bring to the equation a vision of what a more open system can represent to the extent the more open system was built on strong foundations, strong first principles and regulations are the leaders that will shape what the broad digital assets economy sort of looks like in the future. And that appreciation of no shortcuts, the appreciation of personhood will be enormous difference makers. And I think that's the crux. I often say, watch what the bankers do, not what they say. When criticisms are levied against digital assets and cryptocurrencies, in most cases, the loudest critics are also the very best developers and investors in this market segment. And I think therein is an enormous untapped talent pool that very much wants to see an evolution of traditional brick and mortar banking and financial services. The last point I would make is that the public policy leaders themselves often suffer the very dearth of talent that the private sector faces. And where there is a void of rules, people are policy. And so we need more people in more places in the halls of public power as much as we need them in the private sector. Well, that's some great advice to end on. Thank you both for making the time to speak with us today. It's been a truly fascinating discussion. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time. Oh,